Wow, it's such a joy to be here with all of you. And for everyone who's been a part of uh, conference, thank you so much for um, being a part of what God is doing here. And it's just a, a blessing to be a part of what Pastor Kevin and Esther have dreamed and given their lives to. And, and I hope you know that together you're making such an incredible impact, not only, not only in Malaysia, but all around the world. You inspire us all the way in Los Angeles. Every time we go home to LA after being here, we, we just leave with our imaginations running wild of the possibilities. And so we wanna thank you for how you're shaping us and, and for having our whole family here, for Mariah being here singing and Kim for speaking and Aaron. It's just such a joy to be there together. And we're gonna pray. We're gonna pray. We uh, feel overwhelmed. We've been staying in in the Rumi Hotel, which is probably the most beautiful hotel on the face of the earth. And it's just been incredible. So I want to thank you guys for the way you've all treated us so beautifully. Father, thank you so much for this incredible time. Got just the gift of being together. And God, I, I thank you for extroverts. They, they take up so much room and uh, so that us introverts can just stand next to them and watch what's happening. And, and uh, and, and why is it that extroverts wear hats? We wonder, Lord. And, uh, God, we thank you for laughter and friendship and community and joy. We thank you that you created us to live and to be fully alive. And Jesus, we welcome you here in this moment. And we are so grateful that you are the giver of life. You are the bringer of hope. And God, I pray for anyone who's here who may not yet fully understand who you are, and, and maybe they have not crossed that line of faith and trusted you with their life. I pray that today would be the day they would just dive headfirst into your love. We thank you, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's thank God one more time for today. Come on. All right, well, before you sit down, I'm, I'm, I want to leave something. I don't know if you know this, but when you shout or you laugh or you clap, it feels loud to you, but it doesn't feel as loud up here. Have you noticed that, Pastor Kevin? So I imagine that every week when Pastor Kevin is speaking, he's wondering if he's funny, <laughs> if he's connecting. So I, I, I'm going to ask you one more time, and we're, I just want you to go over the top. I want you to leave your... Uh, I want you to let your inner Malaysian out, the one who really wants to go crazy. All right, so how are you doing today? So Come on, let's give it up one more time for this beautiful day together. So good. Oh, that's good, I knew that was in you. All right, have a seat. I think Hannah was mentioning jigsaw puzzles. My wife, she loves puzzles. And she'll go to the store and buy these boxes of thousand piece puzzles. And then she wants me to do them with her. And whenever she brings them to the house, she leaves them in the box at first. And she tells me, I have some puzzles. Would you like to do puzzles? And I always say, no, I do not want to do puzzles. I don't want to be absorbed with a thousand pieces on a table trying to figure out how to put them all together. And what she does, and in fact, the first time she did this, she confessed, she knew exactly what she was doing. 
she took the puzzle and poured it out on a table and left it in the family room. And when I saw those thousand pieces all over a table, I had to start organizing them. I had to start putting them together. And I couldn't stop. And then she later came and joined me, and I, and I, I, I said, why, why, why did you pull these out of the box and throw them on the table? You know that I, I'm compulsive and that I can't just leave them here. And she goes, I know. She goes, I knew that you couldn't leave them and you had to start organizing them. It's so unfair to take someone's OCD and use it to their advantage. But I can tell you, uh, an odd thing happened for the first several times. We put together the entire puzzles, and at the very end, there would always be one piece missing. And at first, I thought she was doing it to be cruel, to let me know, live with it. This is the way life is. There's always something missing. And I would look all over the house. I'd look under the furniture. I'd go from room to room. I would look in the refrigerator. I would look anywhere where I thought that piece of puzzle might have somehow disappeared. We could never find that one piece. Isn't it odd that you can actually get 999 pieces together and that one missing piece will ruin your life? I wonder how many of us are actually experiencing that in our inner world. No, no matter how much we pull together, no matter how much we accomplish, no matter how many things we seem to get a hold of, there's always that one missing piece. And that one missing piece sends everything else into disarray. Have you ever felt as if the promises in the scriptures must be true for someone else but not for you? That there's something missing. I don't want to take a survey right now. But I have a sense that most of us in this room have an inner sense, this inner feeling, this inner tension, this struggle, that there's something missing in us. Something missing in our spiritual life, something missing in our health or well-being. And maybe, just maybe, God has been withholding it from us. Have you ever just been... That kind of person where you feel guilty? Like, the reason God is withholding that peace from me is there's something in my life I didn't get right. There's something in my life I haven't fixed yet. There's an area in my life that, that God is holding me responsible for, and if I could just figure out what that was, maybe he would give me what's missing in my life, and finally my life would be complete. I, I, I want to convince you of one thing today. That everything that you need to live the life God created you to live, that everything that God wants to give you or needs to give you, that he ever intends to give you, he has already given you. That everything you need to live the life God created you to live, to live out your full intention, to live out your calling, your destiny, that it's all in you right now. It's all in you. I noticed early on in my faith that in, in, there are many proofs that we don't really think it's all in us. When I, I, I didn't grow up in church. I didn't grow up in faith. It was all new to me. The language is new. And as I began hearing about the message of Jesus, of course, that, that first message is you need to give your life to Jesus, right? 
because you knew something was missing and so people would tell you the reason you feel something's missing is because you're supposed to have Jesus and, and until you have Jesus you're always going to feel something is missing and so I gave my life to Jesus but but did anyone else have the same experience? I gave my life to Jesus and, and yet something was still missing anybody feel that? We're not allowed to say that out loud. We're supposed to say when we give our lives to Jesus, we have everything. So we're quietly, privately, secretly trying to figure out what is it I'm still missing. And, and I didn't know that Christianity had all these different views. And, and so it was really, it was like Baptists who led me to faith. And they said, you need to give your life to Jesus and believe these right things. And then I discovered later there's like the Church of Christ. They said, no, no, no. You need to be baptized with water because when you're baptized in water, that's when you're transformed. And of course, then I got baptized the next week. And then later, of course, I ran to another section of Christianity. He said, no, no, no. What, what you need is you need not only to give your life to Jesus and be baptized, but, but you need to respond to a calling to, to, to be a pastor to full-time ministry. And so I responded to that calling. And then I ran to other people saying, no, no, no. But what you're missing is the Holy Spirit. I said, you need to receive the Holy Spirit. But I said, but I thought I had the Holy Spirit because I gave my life to Jesus. And Jesus is the one that's supposed to give me the Holy Spirit. I said, no, no. You need to ask for the Holy Spirit. And so I'd ask for the Holy Spirit. And then later people said, no, no, no. Have you spoken in tongues? And I said, no. And they said, then you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What you need is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That will be proven when you speak in tongues. And then I have another group that said, no, no, what you need, they're the Nazarenes, they said you need to be sanctified. So what does that mean? He said, when you're sanctified, you no longer sin. That's what you're missing. I go, what? You can be sanctified and never sin again? Give me some of that. And every time someone told me what was missing, something was still missing. And then we have other groups, we just add to it. No, 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 what you need is you need the gift of healing. Or what you need is you need the, the, the gift of prophecy. And we just go from thing to thing to thing. We keep adding things because we don't deal with the fact that what's missing inside of us is not a thing. We keep wanting some experience to fill the vacuum that only comes from intimacy. So in 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter talks about this unexpected reality that we're going to spend our lives looking out there for what we're looking for when all along it's always been in here. And it may be that until you realize that it's all in you, You'll always feel this vacuum that it has always eluded you. Peter wrote these words, beginning in verse 2. He said, May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. By his divine power, he has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. Now, what, what God is actually telling us here, and I want you to listen to this language here. In verse 3, he says, God has given us everything we need. He's not saying he's going to give you everything you need. 
He says he has already given you everything you need. But the problem when you embrace that, that God has given you everything you need, is why do you still need everything? And so we spend our lives searching for something that has already been given to us. Is it possible that we simply do not understand who we are? So that made me start reflecting about chickens. About why chickens can't fly. I mean, have you ever thought about that? I mean, these are the kinds of things I think about when I have a little extra time. I, I start thinking, why is it that chickens can't fly? And I mean, I personally love chicken. And I am so grateful that they're cooperative. And yet I thought, do chickens actually know what's happening? Why, why don't they at least try a great escape? Why don't they try to get away? I mean, they have wings. They're, they're, they're poultry. They, they, they should be able to fly. So I started doing some research about chickens. Because I wondered to myself, was there a time that chickens could fly? And then they just lost that ability. Or maybe can they still fly? They just don't want to. They're under-motivated. Uh, under and, and, and here's what my research has shown me. That chickens can tactically fly, they just can't fly very far. And so for practical terms, chickens lost the ability to fly. Chickens lost their ability to fly when they became domesticated. Chickens lost their ability to fly when they became domesticated and fat. <laughs> and so as chickens were domesticated, they got fatter and fatter because flying burns calories. But walking minimizes energy usage. And so the way that we actually domesticated chickens is we eliminated two dynamics in their life. We never, as chickens, have to hunt because we're being fed all the time. And I started thinking about how many Christians say things like, I just, I need to be fed. I, I don't know if that's a language here in Malaysia. Maybe that hasn't come here, but in the States, there are all kinds of Christians who are saying, I need to be fed. And they go from one church to another church to another church looking to be fed. And I began realizing the Christians who are going to church to be fed, they're chickens. They're domesticated and fat. And the reason they need to be fed is because they can no longer fly. Because you lose your ability to fly when you stop hunting. And so if you want to domesticate a bird so that you can deep fry them, <laughs> just feed them. And stop them from having to hunt for their own food. See, if you think this is where you're supposed to get fed so that you can get fat. And then you never leave this place and hunt for your intimacy with God. You're going to lose the ability to fly. But chickens evolved through domestication. Their wings became weaker and weaker. And of course, the, the ratio of wing strength to critical mass 
skewed in the wrong direction and now they were not capable of getting lift because they were fat chickens. And so it says the wings became weak and the feet adopted to walking. See, chicken feet are not supposed to be flat. They're not supposed to be designed for walking, but chickens no longer had to hunt, but there's something else that happened. They no longer had to worry about being hunted. See, the way you domesticate a chicken is not only do you keep feeding them so they don't have to hunt, but you protect them so they don't have to run from the prey. And I started thinking about how in the church, so oftentimes the primary thing we expect God to do is to keep us safe. And if we pray, if we have enough faith, we can be safe. And the church becomes a model of comfort and security. And so what ends up happening is that we become domesticated. We lose our ability to fly, not only because we no longer hunt for our food, we're no longer driven and desperate to find God. We expect somebody to deliver God on a plate to us. But we're no longer afraid of being hunted. And so we escape the world. We escape the world around us. We escape the, the complexities and the dangers and, and the tensions of life. And, and we even domesticate our children by trying to keep them away from the world because we don't want the world to mess them up. But what you're doing is you're in danger of raising chickens who can't hunt and can't fly. But there's another bird that I started thinking, well, okay, well, what would be the diametrical opposite of a chicken? That's a falcon. There, there's, there's this bird called the, the peregrine falcon. And the peregrine falcon is technically the fastest bird in the world. In fact, it's not only the fastest bird in the world, it's the fastest animal in the world. Now, there are other birds that can fly faster going in a straight line. But the peregrine falcon... When it achieves its highest height, descends at a blinding speed of 200 miles an hour when it's focused on the hunt. So I thought the peregrine falcon, when it is in a hunting dive called the stoop, is not only the fastest moving bird, it is the fastest animal on the planet. It first soars to great heights and then dives steeply at speeds over 200 miles an hour. And I thought, how many of us are chickens trying to act like falcons? You ever felt like God's expectations were ridiculous? You can't live up to his standards? You see, when you read the scriptures and you see what God is calling us to become, and you try to do it in your own strength, in your own power, without Jesus, you're a chicken trying to be a falcon. And so we go to get inspired. We hear a message to inspire us, but we're a lot of inspired chickens, thinking we're found a falcon! But you're just a chicken with a falcon attitude. But maybe, just maybe, there's something else going on too. See, if God keeps calling us to be falcons and we're chickens, that would be the most cruel thing he could ever do. See, I think a lot of us, we have this view of God as the great falcon. He didn't want any competition, so he made us a bunch of chickens and then told us we needed to live like falcons so he could hold us accountable for never living up to our falcon potential. 
But what if what God actually does is he takes a bunch of chickens and he turns them into falcons? But because we've been raised with a chicken mindset, we don't know that we have the ability to fly. Peter says, may God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need to live a godly life. What Peter is saying is that God has placed his divine power inside of you. See, when you enter into a relationship with Jesus, the creator of the universe comes to dwell in you. And all of his divine power is now accessible to you. So you have everything you need to live the life he created you to live, but it only comes as you grow. See, may God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow. See, I think a lot of us don't like this. We want more of God while we stay less. You don't get more when you stay less. See, and so we want God to solve our less problem by bringing some kind of experience in our life, some kind of evidence in our life, some kind of magic in our life. And God says, no, you get more and more as you grow. You're going to get more grace and you're going to get more peace. Now, it's interesting the word grace is connected even to the gifts in the Bible. Isn't it odd how the way we act with spiritual gifts is that the most immature people are the most willing to express their spiritual gifts? Because we use spiritual gifts as a way of hiding our spiritual immaturity. It says you'll grow in grace and you'll grow in peace. And then we want peace. We want to find that peace of mind, that inner peace. We're tormenting, we're struggling. We know that we're filled with anxiety and stress and fear. And we want God to take it away, but we want God to take it away magically. And God says, no, you see, the only way you ever live in peace is to grow. See, we're like, we're like eight-year-olds mad at God because he will not give us the car keys. And God says, hey, when you turn 18, we'll have a different conversation. Go, God, no, I'm eight. I don't want the keys now. And God says, no, when you turn 18, we'll talk. So 10 years go by. You go, God, I'm 18. So give me the car keys. And God says, no, you've been eight for 10 years in a row. You think you're 18 now. But you haven't grown. You haven't matured. You're still the same person you used to be because you haven't made the choices to become who you're supposed to be. So I can't give you the keys because you're an eight-year-old. You're a perpetual eight-year-old. When are you going to grow up? See, God wants to do more and more in our lives, but he's waiting for us to choose to grow up. We get more of him. We get all that's in us activated as we grow. And, and that's why, by the way, the movement of Jesus can be so confusing. 
Have you ever noticed that a person can be new in their faith and far more mature than someone who is, quote, old in their faith? It's a tricky thing. See, just because you've known God or been in a relationship with Jesus for 30 years doesn't mean you're mature. It just means you're old. I'm 61. I'm just, I'm going to talk to you and tell you the truth. See, I can't stop growing old, but I can stop becoming more mature. Because growing older happens no matter what you do, unless you die. But becoming mature is completely in your hands. He says, you'll access all that's in you. He has given us everything we need by his divine power. What he's saying is that he's actually already done everything he needs to do, everything he's going to do. He just needs you to access what's inside of you. I, I, I love Spider-Man. Anybody else? I, I, I love Spider-Man, but I have to admit, I keep hoping one day I'll get bit by a radioactive spider. Like I, I'm like, come on. Wouldn't it be great if all of us could just get that radioactive spider to bite us? And then we can become superheroes. See, but the reality is that, that God doesn't use the radioactive spider strategy. That's why you go, just come. That's why a lot of us go after spiritual experiences. That's why so many times the church just seems so weird. Come on, let's be honest. Church becomes so weird. It's because we keep wanting a radioactive spider to solve our problems, and God goes, no, it's all about growing up. You get more and more as you grow, as you grow, as you grow. It was several years ago, one of Kim's friends came to me, and she said, Pastor, God just keeps giving me these words, these prophetic words to speak into people's lives, but they just aren't willing to receive the word, the prophetic words that God's giving me. And, and, and Kim, she's much more kind and gracious in the way she interacts with people. And, and she goes, what do I do? And, and, then she goes, and then when I speak the words that God's given me, they become angry and offended. And, and, and so they, they don't want to have a relationship with you anymore. And I looked at her and I said, do you want to die alone? She goes, no. And I could see my wife, Kim, just, just cringing while I was having this conversation with her. Because if you don't change, you're going to die alone. You're going to die without a single person in your life. You need to stop pretending you have prophetic words and realize you're just a really opinionated person. And the conversation ended about right there. And it was a few months later. She came back to me. And she said, I want to thank you for what you shared with me. She says, no one had ever told me that. She says, for the first time in my life, I actually have people who want to be my friends. See, I, I think the truth of the matter is that we've been using our, our spiritual weirdness to hide our spiritual immaturity. And so we don't access the power that God has for us because that power can only be entrusted with those who are spiritually mature. He goes, in, he goes on in verse 3. We have received all of this by coming to know him. The one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. See, we access all that is in us 
as we grow. But not only as we grow, but as we go. Listen to what he says again. We have received all this by coming to know him as we grow in our intimacy with him. But also the one who called us to himself. God calls us to himself. And it's when we hear his calling and we begin to follow him that we actually begin to know who he is and we begin to access who we are. You cannot know who you are without coming to know who he is. And as you come to know who he is, you begin to know who you are. And when you know who you are, you access all that he has created you to become. And all the power that is within you becomes a part of who you are. God is not hiding the missing piece from you. He already put the missing piece inside of you. It's as you go. He says he calls us to himself. I, I, I think that we still have this view of God as like this, this old, wise, kind of fat guy on top of a mountain waiting for us to climb the mountain so that we can receive his wisdom. And then we can just sit at God's feet but if you study Jesus, Jesus did a lot of walking. And when Jesus called his disciples to himself, he didn't sit there. He kept walking. And if they're going to learn from him, they had to follow him. When Jesus calls us to himself, Jesus is moving. And Jesus is moving into the future. And if you're going to follow Jesus, you cannot live in the past. You cannot allow yourself to be stuck in the present. When Jesus calls you to himself, he's calling you into the future he created you to live in. You know, the, the way that, that we've gotten to know each other, Pastor Kevin and I, it, it's, it's not by being in the conference. Because when we're here at conference, we're, we're not really sharing a life together. We're sharing an experience, but it's different, right? And, and when I first came last year, the, the first few days, he took me to all these really nice restaurants. They, they were so nice and, and so clean and, and, and so bougie. And, and, and he took me to the best because he wanted to treat me with honor and respect and generosity. But even there, we didn't really get to know each other. It's only when we went to Jalen Stadium Restaurant. When Jalen Stadium, and we went there late one night, was like midnight or something like that, and there were just people everywhere, and, it, and, 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 and we got in there, and, and, and me and Aaron were there together, and we're like, oh, this is what we've been waiting for. <laughs> and we got the best buns on the planet. Buns created in heaven, dropped to earth. Why do they only bring you one? As if that's all you're going to eat. And then we, we got that sweet and, 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 and spicy crab. And you dip that bun in that crab, but you get your fingers all messy. And you just get, you get sticky and dirty. And you, that's when we became brothers. So we went last night. We got all of our fried rice, and crab, and having this beautiful time, and he puts a shrimp on my plate, 
So I take that shrimp and I try to break it open and it snapped back and all that shrimp went flying right in Pastor Kevin's face. <laughs> and I said, I baptize thee. Because <laughs> you don't get to know each other if you don't walk together in life. And too many of us have a formal relationship with Jesus because this is the only place you go with him. See, if you're not walking with him when you leave this place, you're not enjoying Jalen Stadium life with Jesus. So don't expect the best buns in the world from God when you just want to keep a formal distance relationship with him. See, you access all that is in you as you grow and as you go. Because you only need the power of God when you're living out the purpose of God. Why would God give us his power so that we can show off to each other on a Sunday morning? God gives us his power so that we can liberate humanity every day of the week. Yeah. He says he's, he's called us to himself by the means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. God wants to pour out his generosity on your life. He wants to pour out his power in your life. But if you just want his generosity and his power without his presence, you will never know the fullness of who he is. I always think it's odd that people think that some kind of spiritual gift or some kind of spiritual experience will change our lives if the presence of Jesus didn't. There's nothing God will ever give you more powerful than himself. I can tell you, I'm a dad and I'm a husband and been married, what, 36 years? In 36 years, I have never bought Kim anything, anything that made her love me more. Anything. In fact, a lot of times I bought her things that she didn't really like. I just thought they would be cool. I thought she'd like it. For, for years I would travel and I would bring her things back that I liked. <laughs> and, and, and at first when we were newly married, she didn't want to hurt my feelings, but eventually after married long enough, she was like, I don't like any of this stuff. I said, you don't? She goes, no, I, I, I never asked you for that, I never asked you for that, I never asked you for that. And, and I, I think I thought, having been raised in the human race that you have to buy a person things to keep them loving you. See, I wasn't used to someone just loving me. There's nothing I could ever buy, Kim, that could make her love me more or love me less. I, I, I think it's the beauty of, of our family. It's like, Aaron and Mariah, they're, 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 I love buying them things. It brings me so much joy to buy them gifts. And, and I know that that brings Mariah joy <laughs> when I buy her gifts too. 
It gives Aaron some joy when I buy him gifts. But, but I, I do know this. If the affection is conditional, it's not love. And we treat God as if his proof of love are the gifts he gives us rather than the person he is to us. See, everything you have, you can access through relationship and intimacy with Jesus. It's all in you. Right now, right now, I just want you to look at the person next to you and tell them, it's all in you. Tell them right now, it's all in you. Turn the other way, tell them, it's all in you. Now I want you to have a moment just for you. I want you to take a deep breath and go, it's all in me. Say it again, it's all in me. Everything you want God to do, it's all in you. Everything you need for life, it's all in you. All the power you will ever need to face every challenge, every problem, every obstacle, it's all in you. Everything God wants to put in you to fulfill your destiny, your purpose, your intention, it's all in you. The question is, are you going to let it just stay dormant inside of you? Some of you, everything you need, it's trapped under the rubble of your fears and your failures. And then he says this. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. What? I, I'm going to read this again because it almost sounds like heresy. But it cannot be heresy because it's actually in the Bible. Okay? Listen to it again. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Another translation says that these promises enable you to participate in the divine nature. Do you hear what the scriptures are actually telling you? That you are now an expression of the divine nature of God himself. Wait, wait a minute. You guys, wait, but that ain't right. Only God shares his divine nature. We're something less. We're created by God. But the scriptures actually tell us we're created in his image and likeness. See, the way humanity began is humanity was created as an expression of God's divine nature. And then we severed our relationship with God and we became an expression of less. In fact, what did the snake say to Eve? The snake, remember the snake in the garden? There's Adam and Eve, they're naked and unashamed. I don't understand that. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed when I'm by myself. And I'm not even naked. I just know what I look like naked. I'm already ashamed. Can't even think about it. And there they are in the, in the garden, naked and unashamed. And then the snake comes. We get to have a conversation with Eve. And what does the snake say? Did God really say that if you eat from this tree, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that you will surely die? Because no, no, what God knows 
is that if you eat of that tree, of the fruit of that tree, you will become like God. That's the temptation, that you will become like God. But here's the dilemma. See, every temptation is rooted in truth. Every temptation is rooted in something God created us to long for. And when the snake says, if you eat from this, God knows that you'll become like him, the lie was that God did not make you like him. See, but God said that I created humanity in my image and my likeness. They should have said to the snake, what are you talking about? I'm already like God. I already reflect his image and likeness. I have already partaken in his divine nature. There's nothing that fruit can give me that God has not already given me. So stop living your life like you're a stray animal just trying to survive a cold, dark night and realize you're created in the image of God to reflect his beauty and his wonder, to live in his presence and to know his power. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature. Do you hear what he's saying? You are not a chicken. You've been living like a chicken because we've allowed ourselves to be domesticated so we got fat. We lost our ability to fly. We got wings, but they're only good for, for barbecue. Some of you, you need to realize there's a falcon inside of you trapped inside of a chicken suit. So take off the chicken suit. Because even if you were a chicken, you may look at me and say, you don't know, I am a chicken. But I've been living my life, but living like a chicken. I am a chicken. You go, no, that's what Jesus came to do. You became a chicken because you lost your way. But you're created to be a falcon. Listen to what the scriptures tell us. I only have a minute. And Jeremiah, God says this in chapter 30, 31, 33. This is the covenant I will make with my people Israel after that time declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. In Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27, God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you and I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move in you to fulfill my decrees and my laws. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, God says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old is gone, and all things have become new. God is saying, you were a chicken, but I took the chicken right out of you, and I transformed you into a falcon. So stop walking on the ground and open up your wings and fly. But for it all to be in you, Jesus has to live within you. This is why this is God's singular strategy to change the world. And there's some of you here 
you've never crossed the line of faith and given your life to Jesus. You've been afraid or hesitant or, or maybe you grew up in church and you, you have a religion around Jesus, but you haven't established that relationship in Jesus. And I want to invite you right now to stop trying to live the life of a falcon while you're still a chicken. But give your life to Jesus and let him change you because only he can change you. He can take out your old heart and put in a new heart. He can take out your, your old spirit and put in a new spirit. He can take out your old life and give you a new life. But you have to choose to give the life you have away so he can give you the life he died for you to have. And so I'm going to ask you right now just to bow your heads with me just for a moment. Just close your eyes. If you're here right now, you can just know there's been a missing piece. There's been a missing piece of the puzzle of you. A missing piece of the puzzle of you. A missing piece of the puzzle of your life, of your hope, of your future, of your dreams. And now it finally makes sense that that missing piece is Jesus. And you're ready to give your life to him so he can give his life to you. Now I want to lead you in a simple prayer right now. If you're here and you're ready to cross the line of faith, would you pray this prayer with me right now? Jesus, I give you my life. That's it. Just one sentence. It's not everything you and God need to talk about. But this is where it begins. Right now, just tell him. Right now, just pray. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. If this is your prayer, if today you're crossing the line of faith, if on this day you're giving your old life to Jesus so he can put his new life in you, I want to pray for you right now. If this is your prayer, Jesus, I give you my life. I want you to hold your hand up right now, and I want to see you, and I want to pray for you. If this is your prayer, beautiful. Anyone else right now? Right now. I just want to see you beautiful. Anyone else right now? Beautiful. Anyone else? Wonderful. Anyone else right now? Wonderful. Anyone else right now? Jesus, I give you my life. Anyone else? Jesus, I give you my life. So good. Anyone else? All the way in the back. Jesus, I give you my life. Father, I pray for all the women and men who in this moment have crossed the line of faith and have given their lives to you pray right now, God, that you would just pour yourself so deeply into their soul that they would be drowning in your love and in your hope and in your goodness. And God, I just pray that you would wrap them up in your love and let them know they belong to you. And Jesus, we just declare this is the beginning of new things, that you've placed in them a new heart and a new spirit and a new mind, that you've made them new, God. And so we pray that and declare that this moment is the beginning of a new life. It's a new future. And Father, I, I just want to pray for everyone here who would just say, gosh, God, I, I've been living like a chicken, and, and I just didn't know I was a falcon. I didn't know it was all in me. If you've been living like a chicken, and today you want to declare that you are a falcon, if you realize that you've been domesticated, so you lost your ability to soar, and you are declaring today, I am no longer going to live like a chicken. I'm going to live with courage and faith. I'm going to live like a falcon. I want you to stand right now and just... 
Declare that no matter what anyone else thinks, no matter what anyone else says, if this is you and you know because your heart's pounding and you've been living like a chicken, you've been grounded, you're living beneath God's purpose, beneath God's intention, you're not living out the purpose that God has for you, you're not living out the dreams that Jesus has placed in your soul, but you're done with that. You are done. You're taking off the chicken suit right now and you're standing up and saying, I'm going to soar. I'm going to trust God for my future. I'm going to live the life he created me to live right now. That's you. Just stand right now. If you cannot find the courage to stand right now, how will you soar when you leave this room? You are a falcon. You are not a chicken. You get up and you declare it today. God, I'm going to live the life you created me to live. I know it's all in me right now. I'm going to set it free. I'm going to unleash all that you've placed inside of me. This is my declaration. Father, see us. And God, give us wings to fly. Father, transform us from the inside out. And may your presence, may your presence, may your presence be our power. We pray in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can we just thank God for today?